This is a Diet of Brussels from Brussels. Uh, it's our 250th episode and well by sheer coincidence I find myself in the city that gives this podcast its name and it seems like a good chance to think a little bit about the bigger picture uh, given where we are think about the long run I'm here to do some more talking about Brexit with different people but one of the things I've been doing in the last couple of weeks is just talking a bit more about the the medium-term perspective I think given that we've reached our little milestone four and a half years after I started in the wake of the 2015 election it's worth looking back uh, a little bit now uh, first of all I want to say a big thank you to you the listener uh, listeners I hope I think uh, for sticking with me uh, about 26 hours of recordings over these years. Uh, that's just the ones that I posted, not including that one uh, from Lisbon that never happened, uh, and a couple of others that didn't really work out at all, usually in airport departure lounges. Today I'm, I'm standing on the Grand Place in Brussels, watching the tourists filing in. Uh, there are only two things uh, to know about the Grand Place. One is if you're trying to find the mannequin P, don't bother. And the other is, if you look up on the top of the buildings, there's lots of statues pointing in different directions. Uh, the story is, uh, there's a statue here of a uh, pregnant lady, and then various people blaming each other, until eventually you get to one figure in the corner who's looking rather downward uh, and sheepish about it all. Now that seems like a useful motif for thinking about where we are right now in the Brexit process. Everyone is blaming everyone else. And uh, that has become the dominant mode of Brexit. That this isn't really about problem solving, about finding a, a way out. It's about trying to avoid wearing the costs that come with this process. And clearly there are costs. Last night we had the government uh, produce the uh, planning assumptions for Operation Yellowhammer, which is the contingency uh, for a no-deal Brexit. Um, it was asked to produce an awful lot more, but it's decided that uh, it couldn't possibly do that given data protection uh, and national security regulations. But even that short document highlights how a no-deal Brexit comes with the potential for very serious disturbances to economic, political and social life. It talks about food shortages, it talks about disruption to medicines, it talks about disruption to trade, it talks about disruption to the Irish border, it talks about disruption to uh, police and judicial cooperation. Now even if all of those things don't happen, and don't happen immediately, they still will come through in some form. Uh, and to hear a government minister saying, uh, well, uh, we have uh, done a lot of work in the last months to mitigate against this is not entirely reassuring since this was originally going to happen at the end of March and one would have hoped that the government was well placed to mitigate uh, against it uh, back then. Brexit then, without a deal, leaving the EU without a deal, is very costly. 
But so too are the other options. We've had in the past week the formation of a group that uh, of MPs that uh, come from different parties who want to uh, get the withdrawal agreement as somewhat uh, revised in uh, more political terms rather than legal terms uh, that Theresa May put together, put back on the table and passed as the, the way forward. But that's a group that is in uh, the minority by a very substantial uh, degree and the thought that Parliament, after the vociferousness of its opposition from both opposition and government benches, would now find it acceptable to accept that deal is really very small indeed. That parties have boxed themselves in quite uh, extensively uh, on this issue uh, and so to go back for them is rather problematic. So maybe another deal might be the answer. Maybe the EU might lend a helping hand because it obviously wants to avoid a no deal. Uh, maybe it will change its mind. Well, that also looks unlikely. The line from the EU, which I think is an understandable one, is that the UK needs to come up with alternatives. The EU has always let it be understood that if the UK can come up with a viable alternative to the withdrawal agreements that meets the EU's needs and that is also more likely to get through Parliament or will get through Parliament, then the EU will listen, it will dis discuss. It's not trying to be obstructive on this, but it's trying to protect its interests in this process as much as the UK is trying to protect its own. But the UK has not just failed with the Johnson government, but also with the May government. A lot of what came through in the withdrawal agreement in the end did come from Brussels because the, the UK didn't have a good grasp of what it was trying to achieve, what its priorities were, and uh, the fine detail of EU legislation uh, really resides with the Commission and not with uh, the UK or member states. Which leaves one other option, which is the, uh, the Dallas option where Bobby Ewing turns up in the shower again and it was all a dream, oh, for several series. Now, this I think is no more likely than any of the other options that uh, the idea that the UK could uh, have another referendum, that that referendum could be pursued in a way that was felt to be broadly fair and produce a decisive enough result that uh, the decision to reverse the 2016 vote would be widely accepted, looks ambitious, to put it mildly. And uh, each of those elements, I think, is, is highly problematic, that there is an awful lot of sunk cost in this that is uh, almost impossible to retrieve uh, in the short to medium term. So all of the options, all of the pathways look improbable. Leaving with a deal, leaving without a deal, not leaving. And yet, we know that those are the only three options. All this talk about an extension in October is fine for avoiding a no deal, but it's merely avoiding a no deal. It's not actually uh, stopping a no deal happening. It's just a delay of the 
necessary and fundamental need to choose between those three options because there are no other options. This past week I've been in Germany uh, talking about uh, these kind of questions and I found a meme uh, on Twitter, a picture from uh, Mad Max with the slogan, it's 2172 and the British government comes for its annual pleading with the EU to have another extension. No one knows where this strange custom comes from, but it draws many tourists to the city. I'm in this city, and we haven't yet got to the point of an annual ritual of asking for an extension. But it's not unfanciful to think that the difficulty, the huge difficulty of making a decision, points towards delay as a desirable option. I can't solve the problem. Maybe somebody else down the line will be able to solve it. Now, as I teach my students uh, on negotiation, delay sometimes is an answer. Sometimes you need to take the heat out of a situation. Sometimes you need some more time to work up options. But crucially, delay only works if you are doing something with that time. If you're just using that time to see what pops up, then uh, it is not a good strategy. It's not a constructive strategy. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, delay without doing anything and with seeing if something pops up seems largely to be the model that has been adopted by the UK. Remember that back in April we had Donald Tusk saying please don't waste this time. And then more recently we've had uh, Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron telling Boris Johnson or Boris Johnson hearing uh, that he has 30 days to come up with some proposals. Now both of those deadlines are roaring into uh, view. We're now uh, a bit more than a month away from a European Council that has some strange symbolic significance for the UK because uh, it's almost as if the, the British government thinks that that's the point at which everyone will roll up their shirt sleeves and come and sit for many hours through the night and thrash it all out and we'll sort out the, this deal. Uh, there's no good reason to think that that's what will happen. Uh, one of the things that's clear is that the EU is treating this much in the way that it treats its relations with third countries, with countries that aren't members of the EU. And yes, whilst the UK may be a member state now, the whole purpose of the exercise is that the UK has said it doesn't want to be a member state. Now, the EU will bend over very far uh, to accommodate the needs of member states, but it will not bend over very far to accommodate the needs of third states. And that mismatch of understanding, this view, well, this is how we used to do it, you know, when we had those all-nighters for European councils with treaties for Lease or for Lisbon or for Maastricht. Uh, you can do the early morning press conference and uh, get your headlines in the morning. That's not how this will work. Um, all of the European Council discuss discussions so far uh, have been brief and perfunctory to basically report on progress. And this uh, European Council in October uh, will be my, very much the same, that uh, we'll report on progress and that will be a brief discussion because largely there isn't much. Perhaps the most important discussion will be 
uh, whether there is uh, it's, uh, a willingness to have an extension already at that stage. Although, by that point, as things stand, the British government won't have asked for it because that uh, is only going to come in the week uh, after that European Council. If I think about where we've come since 2015, it's clear that this is not where anyone wanted to end up. David Cameron, with his promise back in 2013 at the Bloomberg speech to hold a referendum, was concerned with local party management, you know, trying to get his backbenchers off his back, making a promise that, broadly speaking, he didn't think he had to uh, keep up with because he didn't think he was going to win the 2015 uh, election. And then just this kind of casual view that, uh, well, A, people won't be so uh, thoughtless as to just throw away the whole of EU membership, if you frame it like that, and also that uh, David Cameron has great confidence in his uh, abilities as a communicator and a convincer to say, oh, well, I'm sure I can pull this out of the bag. And even at the point of losing the referendum, which wasn't anticipated, or at least was hoped not to be the case, you don't find that engagement with solving the problem. The dominant mode that Theresa May adopted through her time in office was, again, managing her party, trying to keep her party together, rather than trying to think about a way of uh, reducing the divisions that the referendum exposed and to some extent created. And now we have a new premiership that is even less willing to try and find common ground. So we're back in the situation of these statues here in the Grand Place. It's not me, it's him. It's not him, it's her, it's them. It's other people who are stopping this. And really, the failure of this process has been a failure to step outside of normal politics. Now that sounds extraordinary to say in a week when we start uh, the longest prorogement of Parliament in uh, living memory when we have government ministers umming and ahhing about whether they're going to follow the law, when we have courts saying that the government has misled the monarch. To say, uh, oh, this is politics as normal sounds uh, ridiculous. And yet, still, it is seen in conventional political terms. This is party political. This is just the latest crisis, and there's always something around we can use to bash our party political opponents, that we can use to pursue our own agenda. Now, I would say that's a terrible thing, but it's how politicians work, it's how people work, you know, the, the willingness to see that things have changed fundamentally is always low, because that's difficult and it's uncertain, and the new dividing lines and the new potentialities are exactly that, potentialities. They're not real and they're not realised. 
one of the themes that's come through in the various academics I've been listening to, talking with of late, is that notion of potentiality. We talk about how the party political system is on the edge of being uh, totally transformed, but not yet actually transformed. And really that reflects this notion that until we get to a decision about Brexit, we're not actually going to get something definitive that tells us what it is uh, that is going to be the new normal. Now it may be that we end up with a completely different set of party politics to the ones that we've had before, that uh, the old left-right divide between Labour and Conservative is replaced by something that is more uh, about cosmopolitan liberals versus the kind of traditionalist, uh, nationalist, uh, excluded section of society. Now, that may happen, but it, it may not. But already we see how the identity of being a Leaver or a Remainer is more strongly held by people than party political identities, if you look at the population. You see how Leave and Remain voters don't sit clearly within existing parties. And as a result, the more this goes on, the worse this blockage becomes the harder it becomes to sustain the way of doing things that has been until now. Now for me that suggests that as substantial, significant as all of this has been, it is the thin end of a potentially very large wedge. I always quite enjoy telling people that this has been the easy part of Brexit, that this is just about ending membership, this is not about starting a new relationship, and that new relationship is much, much more problematic, because the UK really has no sense or consensus about what that new relationship should be, and the UK, EU equally is not agreed about what that new relationship should be. There are many ideas, but nothing like uh, a fixed position, which will make the process of getting to that new relationship, whatever it looks like, much harder, which in turn means there's much more chance that the provisions of the withdrawal agreement, uh, if that is passed, uh, will have to be used in full, which means using the backstop. And if it's a no deal, then all of this becomes exponentially more difficult bad-tempered, low trust between all the parties, again everyone blaming everyone else. We've seen an awful lot of developments over these past four and a half years. We are likely to see an awful lot more. And if we think about that bigger picture, if we think about where we were in 2015, we think about the things that concerned us, that shaped us, that were priorities within the debate, you can see how that has changed very radically. But if there's one thing I want to kind of leave as a thought, as 
the big parties of tourists gather around the serried umbrellas of the tour leaders and the loading vans do their loading. It's this. That potentiality means that things are not settled. And one of the things that I've taken from this process is that politics really matters. It matters to your life, to my life, to all of our lives. And we also get to have a say about that. Now, whatever your view about how Brexit should turn out, how it should be pursued, you have a say and a voice. And I would always encourage you to make the most of that opportunity. As I like to tell the children, uh, if you don't make choices, then other people will make choices for you. As a rule of thumb, other people don't make as good choices for you as you make for yourself. So, as we start on what I hope is not going to be the next 250 episodes, because I feel slightly weak at the prospect, but equally looks fairly certain to run and run, I would like to just uh, offer that thought that there is still a lot of roads to be run on this, a lot of opportunity for you to express your views, and uh, I would strongly encourage you to do so. So, thank you once again for your time, your patience, your encouragement, your questions. If you've got things that you want me to talk about, then please do get in touch. We'll be back soon with some more interviews, uh, which I've got lined up. And as things happen, I was going to say if things happen, things will happen. As things happen, we will do more episodes without jackhammers jackhammering away in the background. Goodbye. <laughs>